Well, it's always good to see, you know, new members, and that's just, you know, one of the joys and pleasures I have as a senior pastor to introduce them to you. But for those of you who are visiting for the first time, we've been going through, and we are ending up our series on five things that God uses to grow your faith. Now, when I'm talking about five things that God's using to grow your faith, I'm not talking about just up here. Because a lot of times when we t- think about faith and belief, we think about, okay, do, have I acquired certain knowledge? Do I believe in a certain set of tenets about the faith? And that's important. But when we're talking about faith here, we're talking about your ability to trust God. That's what we're talking about. Do you, is your faith growing to the point that no matter what happens to you, no matter what storm that you face, that your um, faith in God is rock solid? And that's what we're talking about here right now. Now, you might be in all different parts of the journey. You know, some of you have that thing, well, you know, I don't know about this God yet. Some of you are new, and you're saying, well, you know what, I'm still kind of learning of what it means to trust God because I haven't seen him work in my life that much. And some of you right now have been walking with the Lord for a long time, and as you look back in your life, you realize, yes, you see God's fingerprints in your life, especially during the times you didn't know it, especially during the times where you didn't think he was there or didn't care, or, or even question, God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. But those of us who have walked with the Lord for a long time, we look back at that and, and said, oh my gosh, Lord, your plan for me was perfect. I get it. Now. I didn't get it then, but I get it now. And so that's what we're talking about when it comes to growing in your faith. And we talked about the first thing is practical teaching that the Bible um, is something for us to study, to learn, because number one, it, it talks about you know, what God's doing throughout history, but it also talks about what God expects from us and how we are to live in relationship with God and each other. But it's not, and it's not there for us to read and learn, because if it stays up here, it doesn't do a whole lot. Okay? It doesn't do a whole lot. It's meant to be applied in our lives. So the first part was practical teaching. You need to apply God's word. You can't just be a hearer of the word. You've got to be a doer of the word. The next thing is providential relationships. Because there are times in your life where God will place certain people in your life at that specific time for that specific moment. And they make all the difference in your life, right? And so we praise God for that. But we also have to take a look at ourselves and say, how can I be that person? How can I be that person where God uses me to um, walk through, uh, walk with this individual at this specific time and place in their life? So I could be a providential, uh, have a providential relationship with that person. Personal disciplines, Pastor Nett talked about that. That these are um, practices where it's prayer, reading the Bible devotionally, serving, having your quiet times. These are the things that put us in a place where we could hear God for us to enhance our relationship with him. You know, last week I talked about personal ministry, that God has given each one of us gifts talents, and passions. And we all belong to the body of Christ. And so God has called us to be um, 
involved in ministry. We are all called to be a minister. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, right? Because God's going to call you to do ministry. And you're saying, God, I'm just not qualified for that, right? But remember, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because who's doing the work? God. And then after you do that and you look back and you say, oh my goodness, through God's power, I was able to do this. Through God's power, I was able to impact people's lives. And I didn't think I could do that. These are the things that help you grow. And some of you might be called to ministry outside the church. You know, wherever it is, you need to be engaged in that. And today is the final one. And this is probably the most difficult one for us to experience. We all know this. So I'm not going to be teaching you anything new. But I'm hoping that this could be a reminder of something that we're going to face every single day, every single week, even though we don't like it. And that's pivotal circumstances. It says, these are God-ordained circumstances that are of crucial importance um, in relation to the development and the success of our faith. These are these pivotal moments. It could be sometimes it would be like an accomplishment, whether at school, whether at work. It could be, oh, I'm in a new relationship, birth of a child, or whatnot, right? It's these pivotal moments. But the majority of the pivotal moments that shape our faith aren't the positive ones. They're the negative ones, and we don't like that. You know, in his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis writes, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. You know, when things are going good, sometimes, you know, it's hard to even acknowledge that God is there. But it's through difficulty when we're on our knees and we're crying out to God. And that's where he gets our attention. Because we see this in James 1, verse 2, if you have your Bibles, where James, the brother of Jesus, writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, all of us, we, we, we read this verse a thousand times, right? But I don't know any of us who say, ooh, I love this verse. You know, it's a hard verse to swallow, right? Because this is God's MO in helping us grow, right? We would say, we would say, consider, we wish it would say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face celebrations of any kind. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face joys and happiness of any kind. We would rather have that, right? And that makes sense. But what does he say? Consider pure joy whenever you face trials. Because there is a link between spiritual growth and pain and suffering and difficulty. I want you to take a look back at your life. doesn't matter how old you are, high school, junior high, younger. And I want you to think about the times that you grew the most. You got that moment? Was it an easy moment? Or was there difficulty involved? For those of us who have more years behind us than ahead of us, we all know that it's through those times of hardship and difficulty that we grew um, 
the most. And this is the hardest thing for us to try to um, figure out or reconcile in our mind is how could a loving God do this? God, if you love me, if you are such a loving God, how could you allow this to happen? Because this is God's MO. If you look throughout the Bible, God uses difficult times to grow the faith of those who follow him. You know, it's, I don't know how many of you remember the, that show called The Wide World of Sport, right? And they had this tagline, the thrill of victory and the what? Agony of defeat. All you older guys, we know that one, right? And you would see these skiers, downhill skiers, you know? And here, the thrill of victory, but the agony of defeat, the pain and the suffering that they went through to train to be at the top of their sport, to compete against the best in the world, the, the, what they had to put their bodies through. And then all of a sudden you see a skier that, boom, boom, they're just rolling head over heels, right? And it's like, man, they trained their life for this. But you know what? When you go through difficult times, it reveals your character. It reveals your character. Are you going to let difficulty defeat you? Are you going to give up? Or do you learn from it? And do you grow? And this is what God wants from us. He wants to learn from us, learn from it, and grow. And today we're going to take a look at a, a Bible story that I know that the majority of you are familiar with. You know the ending of this. But once again... What I'd like you to do is put yourself in the um, shoes of the character. Now, what would you do? What would you think? What would you be feeling if you were in that story? So if you have your Bibles, once again, could you turn with me to John chapter 11, verse 1, and we're going to talk about um, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, even if you take a look at that verse, when he describes Mary, you might be saying, well, you know what? I know scripture, and this doesn't happen you know, when Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair and poured perfume on it, this doesn't happen until chapter 12. Why is he writing this now? And basically, when we look at this, we have to assume that John assumed that the people who were reading his gospel already knew who Mary and Martha was. So he was just describing Mary in a way that everybody knew. So chronological order wasn't that important to him. And then it says, so the sister, and it's, Then it says, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So once again, their brother was sick. You know, he was on the verge of dying. And so Mary and Martha sent a messenger to Jesus. But she said, the Lord, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so we see that there is a special relationship with Jesus, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. This is just no, oh, I I don't know these people. No, Jesus knew them intimately. Jesus stayed with them. Jesus ate with them. Jesus spent time with them. They were close friends with Jesus, and Jesus loved them. And then when he heard this, Jesus says, this sickness 
will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So when Jesus hears this, what does he say? This sickness will not end in death, but what? This whole incident, he's setting this up, is for God's glory. And then this leads us to this one quote. It says, contrary to the teaching of some, Christ's response indicates that sickness and even death may be God's will for his people. And this is tough, right? Sickness and sometimes death might be God's will for his people. But in the midst of going through sickness, God can still be glorified. And then in order for us to hear a testimony of somebody who God, who is glorifying God through his illness, I'd like to call forward Chris Rapp. Chris, could you come forward? And we're just going to, he's going to share a little bit about his journey with us and then how God has used his pivotal circumstance to grow his faith. Can you have a seat? Well, first of all, thanks for coming up here. I know it's not the easiest to uh, talk in front of a, you know, a group of people. I've fortunately had many years of doing this, but uh, thanks so much for coming. You know what? You know, as I've gotten to know you over the years, Chris, you know, I've seen many parallels of um, my mother's experience with her cancer and your experiences. And you said that the way you've dealt with cancer started with a previous event. So can you tell us a little bit about what that event was that um, started this whole journey of how you started rethinking your, your cancer? Yeah, um, there were so many things God did to get me ready for it, but, but the key one was like six years ago. Um, I wasn't feeling good. Uh, I figured it was just something I ate. A week later, I was in urgent care. They misdiagnosed it. A week after that, I'm in the ER um, I went to, uh, it turned out I had a staph infection. Um, the cocktail mix that they had for antibiotics wasn't working. So after, I think, like the fourth or fifth night that I was in the hospital, I'm, uh, I had a dream, and I'm asking God, is it time for me to go home? Um, and I didn't get an answer, so I said, well, you know, you know there's been a bunch of times when I would love the answer to that to be Yes. Um, but I said, but I think at this point, um, I think there's more I can do for your kingdom. So if you want me to stay, I will stay. Um, still no answer. <laughs> so I said, no, it's up to you. Um, if it's time, I'm ready. Um, if, it's, if it's not, then that's okay too. And then I started getting verses from um, 23rd Psalm, very um, very peaceful, but the thing is, up until from the very beginning, up until that moment, there was nothing but peace. I wasn't worried, nothing. Um, the next morning, they told me my uh, I, I had pneumonia. They said the pneumonia was getting worse. My liver was failing. My kidneys, they said, were going to take a big. They took a big hit. The only question was how much of it was going to be permanent. But then. Uh, Two days later, pneumonia's gone. They sent me home. Um, I had an antibiotic, little electric thing to pump antibiotics into me for another month after that because the infection was still there. But three days after I went home, 
kidneys and liver are totally normal, no permanent damage. Um, and it's like just more peace. And I think through that, you know, you talked about trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize it until later, but it's like trust is one of the big things I got from that. And the other was it's the first time I ever felt God's peace. And it's just awesome. And that was what got me ready mm-hmm. for what was it to come. And I still remember that hospital visit. Grace and I went, and I was really anxious because I heard that, you know, Chris, you know, you know, Chris was a good friend of mine and that I heard that he was going to die. And so Grace and I went to pray for him. And uh, I've been doing this for a long time, and you, you never get used to this. You never do. And so I remember just praying. I said, Lord, please give me the strength to do this. So Grace and I went and prayed for Chris. And I go, this guy, here this guy is facing death, and he's more peaceful than me, you know? And, and you know, it just, that, that's one thing that struck me as Grace and I prayed for him, that he was more peaceful about his situation than myself. So when he says that he experienced God's peace, even when his kidneys, his liver, and all of that was failing, and I personally thought that he wasn't going to leave the hospital alive, that he had peace. Um, but then, like Chris said, you know, this set you up for something that, that God knew that was in your future, but you had no idea that this was in your future. And, you know, one of the things you write a blog, you know, Chris writes a blog, and he just reaches, you know, million um, people, you know, with his readership. And, you know, he writes some really good um, articles or blogs. But I've often heard him write and say that, um, you don't, he doesn't want to waste his cancer. I don't want to waste my cancer. So, you know, Chris, could you tell us what you mean by that you, when he said you don't want to waste your cancer? Yeah, I, I wish I could take credit for the, that wording. Um, <laughs> when I was first diagnosed with prostate cancer, of course I Googled it to find out, you know, what am I in for? But it's like the second thing that came up on the Google search, which is not not just a coincidence, had to be, uh, was a book by John Piper, um, who wrote one called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Um, And I thought, you know, I think back to my conversation in the hospital, it's like, okay, this, God wants me to do something here. Um, So I started writing four years ago about the experience along the way of uh, being diagnosed, um, being told, well, we don't think it's that bad. Uh, so, you know, wait for a while, see what happens. And then all of a sudden the biopsy says, no, it's worse than we thought it was. And it's more widespread. Got to have surgery. Um, had surgery. They did the biopsy on what they took out. I said, oh, you know what? It was even worse than what we thought it was before. Uh, and it's more widespread. And oh, by the way, we uh, didn't get all of it. Um, so I switched to City of Hope and they you have to wait some more because uh, you have to recover from the surgery. And it's all this, what should have been and would have been years bef- a couple of years before, would have been a roller coaster ride. And it's like, but I was talking in the group this morning, it's kind of more like gentle green hills. You know, it's a little up and down. It's where people, it has to be. But it's not the total, you know, panic when something happens. And it's like, 
wow, this is what God's peace is really like. And I think, I think we don't really get that. So part of my goal is to let people know that you can actually do what James wrote um, and you can have God's peace through it. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that, you know, when I often talk to people who are suffering from some illness is that, you know, they want to be healed and they want to be healed. So, you know, you know, God could extend their life. And I think, you know, that's natural. And, you know, we pray for people to be healed. But one of the things you told me is that now you actually live out your belief that using your cancer could glorify God. It's no longer just Yes, we are to glorify God. Yes, I know that. But you're actually living that out. And I think that's a big leap for a lot of people to take it from here to say, yeah, I know what the scripture says. I know what it says to consider it all joy when you face trials. And I know that I'm supposed to glorify God with my life. And we know that up here. But there's a huge difference between knowing it up here and living it out. And you are able to flip that switch to now you are actually living it out. So for, the, um, for those of us who you know, are trying to figure out how do we make that um, leap, so how did, how did that happen to you where you're now living that out? Yeah, you talk about how hard it was. <laughs> I mean, I, I had been leading the Bible study here for, what, 12, 13 years? Mm-hmm. So it's like I teach all this stuff, and one of the things we're going through now is something I wrote years ago as an academic exercise. But now it's like, you know what? I just lived this um, so I can rewrite it and talk about not just what James said, but actually, you know, going through it step by step. And I think part of what I realized is that, yeah, we do have all these things that we believe. Uh, We say we believe it, but when it comes right down to it, um, you know, you talk about trust. Do we really trust God enough to actually let him do what he's going to do? You know, because earlier this morning we were talking about, you know, I never prayed for for God to heal me. of course, if he wanted to heal me, that's fine. I'm not going to say no. Um, mm-hmm. And other people ask, can I pray for healing? And I'm like, oh, sure. But for me, um, I realized that if I believe God has a plan for my life, and if that plan doesn't include being healed, then me praying for healing is asking God to opt out of his plan. Um, so it's just that realization of, I say, oh, I believe all these things, and I've been talking about it for all these years, and now this is, you know, this is where the rubber beats the road. Can I do it? Hmm. And it's like, with his help, yeah, I did. And you talk about joy, and I was scared to death to come up here, but I mean, (laughs) I, I can feel him now, and just the joy from relaying this to all of you is, it's another piece of the journey. It's, it's great. So thank you for listening. And um, well, thank you. You know, and the reason I wanted you to hear it from Chris, because sometimes when I get up here, they say, well, oh, oh, sure, you're the pastor. This is what we expect, right? But I just wanted to let you know that, you know, it is true that God can work through circumstances that are life and death. God can give you peace when you are facing death. 
God can give you peace when you find out that your hopes were high and then later on you found out, oh no, my cancer is worse than they thought. And that you can live a life to glorify him. It is possible through the power of his Holy Spirit. So thank you so much, Chris, for sharing your testimony with us. You know, now as I was going through this, you know, like I said, I've known Chris for a, a long time, and I've walked through him with him through this entire journey. And when I was doing this sermon, I said, you know what, you got to tell your story. You know, you got to tell his story because his story is just so inspirational. And, you know, the point is that, like I said, God uses everything, sickness and his, and his death, can be part of his will <coughs> for us. But as we continue in John 11, uh, verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Once again, we see this special relationship that the Apostle John is trying to communicate to us. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. If you were the messenger, if you were Mary and Martha, and somehow this got back to you, that you sent your messenger to Jesus, who has healed countless people, right? And you said that my brother, the one you love, is about ready to die. And then, you, find, you know, you hear back through the grapevine that Jesus decided to stay there two more days. What would you feel? What would you think about Jesus, right? And this was shocking, and, and we can't get a, around this when you see, well, we're shocked by this. But, you know, if you do some reading, you know, I believe, and many um, biblical scholars believe that, you know, Lazarus was already dead by the time that the messenger got to Jesus. Because, you know, Scripture tells us in the, uh, later on that when Jesus got to Bethany, Lazarus was death, dead for four days. Right? So it takes one day for a person, a messenger, to go from Bethany to where Jesus was. Jesus stayed two more days um, there, and then it takes a day to go from where Jesus was back to Bethany. And so we believe, or I believe, that Lazarus was already dead. So it wasn't like Jesus was just waiting for Lazarus to die. Lazarus was already dead by the time that Jesus was notified. Right, And so we see that. But then this is important because in their culture, they believed that the soul resided around the body for three days after the body died. But then after seeing the body decomposing and turning blue and be looking horrific, then the soul just departs the body on the fourth day. So the Jews believe that on the fourth day, the person is truly dead. There's no way this person could come back. And this is what the importance was of why Jesus stayed an extra two days, to make sure by the time he got there that four days had passed. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were there, and they tried to stone you, yet you are going back. And so what the disciples are saying, what? You want to go back? Jesus, remember they tried to stone you last winter? You know, that was just less than six months ago. 
And, and so Bethany was only about two miles from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a place where Jesus' opponents tried to uh, stone him less than six months ago. And so the disciples, you know, if you were the disciples, would you, do you think they were really that concerned with Jesus? No, they were more likely concerned with themselves because what they're saying, Jesus, if you go back, they remember that we're going to be stoned too, you know. And you go, Jesus, remember that centurion, you know, that his servant was sick. You weren't even there. You just spoke the words and that servant was healed. Can't you do that this time? You know, we don't have to go there. You could just say the word and that person would be healed. Right, And this is one thing that I think Chris said in his testimony, that avoiding the pivotal moments God places before you will result in missed opportunities to grow your faith. When difficult times, when you go through difficult times, what's our first response? If you're like me, my first response is, how do I get myself out of it? How can I use my experiences how can I use my knowledge? How could I use my wisdom to get out of this situation? And no doubt, the disciples wanted to get out of this pivotal moment, right? Because Jesus knew all along what he was doing. Jesus let this happen, right? Jesus let this happen because there was a lesson, that he, a pivotal moment that he wanted people to experience. But his disciples said, oh, I don't want any part of this. I don't want any part of this. There's got to be another way. And so what does Jesus answer? Jesus knew what they were trying to say. And Jesus answered and says, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. Now you have to realize, back then they didn't have sophisticated ways to tell time. All they did was they broke daylight into 12 hours. The day was broken into 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness. Now, it wasn't exactly 12 hours because no matter how long the light was, that was the 12-hour period, right? But basically, the 12 hours Jesus was talk about, talking about symbolized the duration that he was going to stay here on earth the time that was allotted by your father. And just as no one can shorten a day or lengthen the day, the certain you know, disciples' concern could not extend the allotted time that Jesus would be on the earth or with them. And no hostility from the Jews could shorten what God had planned, right? And so even in Job 14.5, you know, Job says, "'A man's days are numbered.'" You know the number of his months. He cannot live longer than the time that you have set. Each one of us has, God has ordained the number of days that each one of us are here on earth. And there's absolutely nothing we could do to change that, right? In his sovereignty, God has set the amount of days that we have here on earth. And so, one of the things that Chris learned is I only have X amount of time here on earth. And when he was at Huntington Hospital, when he was told that you're probably not going to leave the hospital, that you're going to die, well, according to this, it was not God's timing yet. It was not God's timing. And so he said, it's 
When a person walks at night, they stumble, for they have no light. And so what Jesus is saying, as long as I'm here living on earth, there's light. You could see, you're not going to stumble. But it's only when nighttime comes when people stumble. But the encouragement that we have that even though Jesus left the world, the light of the world left, what? He left the Holy Spirit here. That it is still always light for us because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he's there to prevent us from stumbling. Right? Cancer might trip you up. Failing, getting demoted, losing your job, ending a relationship, not getting the promotion, not getting the job that you wanted might cause you to stumble, right? But the light is still there. The light is still there. So they don't have the power to make you stumble, right? Because Jesus has a pivotal moment or an opportunity for you. And like I say, it's, it's really tough, and I'm not downplaying this. It's tough to let it go from here to actually living it out. And then he said this, and he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Then could you imagine the disciples? Oh, thank goodness. He's only asleep. Well, Jesus, you know, if he's asleep, he needs his rest. Why don't you allow him to get his rest? We'll stay here. He'll get better, and we don't have to go there. They didn't get it. You see, Jesus had a pivotal moment, a circumstance for them to experience. And they thought, whew, okay, we got out of this one. But what has Jesus said? Um, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then he says this other shocking statement. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And for your sake, I am glad that I wasn't there. Jesus knew the suffering his friends were going through. They had seen their brother died. They had put their faith in Jesus. Their hope was that Jesus would heal Lazarus. They had no idea Jesus was going to come and resurrect him from the dead. They were in pain. They were in suffering. But what does Jesus say? I am glad that I wasn't there. I'm glad that I wasn't there, even though they had to go through this pain and suffering, even though their friends and family members had to go through this suffering. I am glad that I wasn't there. And then he said, even though you had to experience angst, the disciples, of going back to Bethany, knowing that you could be stoned, I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why? Because Jesus said, so that you may believe. And this is the whole, if you want to take a look at why God allowed this to happen, why God allows trials and difficulties to occur in our lives, it's this, so that you might believe. Which brings us to our last point. Growing your faith in him is more important to God than the hardships that you face in life. Ouch. Right? 
How many of us like this statement? You know, we may not like it, but it's true. That growing your faith, increasing your ability to believe in him is more important to God than the hardships that you face in life. Because God knows our life here is temporal. Job says, our days here are numbered and there's nothing we could do uh, to lengthen those days. And in light of eternity, our life here is like a blink of an eye. However, our belief in, our belief in him, our ability to grow our faith in him has eternal results. That's why what Jesus was saying He was glad that he was not there. He's pretty much saying the same thing James was saying. Consider it pure joy when you experience trials. They're saying the same thing. They are saying the same thing. Because James knew that it is more important for God that we increase our faith. And trials do that. Difficult times do that. Right. So the whole purpose of this pivotal moment that Jesus was setting up was that his disciples, so that Mary and Martha and eventually Lazarus and their friends and their neighbor, this was a pivotal moment where they would believe in him. But this was also a moment on the timeline that would eventually lead to his crucifixion. This was a pivotal moment. Each one of you are going to face pivotal moments in your life. And the question is, how are you going to respond to them? Are you going to be like Chris and say, God, please don't waste this pivotal moment? Are you going to say, God, I'm going to change this paradigm to say, okay, woe is me to... God, how can I glorify you through this? Because that's what God wants. That's God's intention of letting us go through difficult times. And I know that difficulty is relative. I know that uh, for some of you, you have probably gone through more hardships than anyone else should experience in their lifetime. You know, and so I understand that. But you know who allowed you to happen? Go through those God, that if he's allowed you to go through that, there's a plan for him, for you. There's a lesson for you to learn that you could only learn through this circumstance. But you know, there's hope. There's always hope. Because it's through these pivotal circumstances that you have testimonies like Chris's. It's through these pivotal circumstances that if you ask those of us who have experienced life in life's difficulties, you will say, yes, I see God work. God did some amazing things. And there was no way I would be the person I am today without those circumstances. And I'll tell you that when I was going through them, I questioned God. I said, God, what are you doing? But as I look back and see these pivotal circumstances, you know, I thank God for them. But what, you know, like Chris, when you go through these circumstances, it helps set you up for the next circumstance. Because like Chris had no idea that cancer was looming in the future. He didn't. 
He didn't know that he would have to go through all the ups and downs of his illness. God did. And God placed a pivotal circumstance six years prior in order to what? Help him prepare for the future. And this is the way we have to look at pivotal circumstances. You have no clue what you're going to face in the future. But praise God, he does. He does. And he's saying, Dave, I I know you don't understand this. I know you don't get this. But man, this is coming down the road. And you need to be ready for it. And this is the only way I could prepare you for what you're going to face down the road. You just have to trust me. And I pray that each one of you view it that way too. That God loves you. God, it pains God to see you hurting. It really does. But he also knows that, Dave, if I don't give you this circumstance, you're not going to be prepared for the future. You need to go through this circumstance. So what's our weekly challenge? I want us to read John 11, 1 through 44 this entire week. Uh, and by the way, for those of you who didn't know the story, Jesus goes to Bethany, Lazarus, come forth! And he raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay, so Lazarus doesn't stay dead. Actually, Jesus brings him back to life. But it says, when you go through difficulties this week, see these as pivotal moments that allow God to grow your faith. You could either say, why me? Why now? Or you could pray, God, please don't waste this moment. Please allow it to grow my faith. Then ask God for the perseverance to endure pivotal moments you face this week. Like Chris said, it's not easy. And I'm talking up at you like it's easy. It is not easy going through a uh, pivotal moment. You need perseverance. You need courage. And this comes from God. So if you are going through one of those moments in your life right now, ask God for perseverance, and he will give you that. Worship team, please come forward. And let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, you know, we know that you love us. And sometimes, Father, we don't understand your plan for us. Sometimes it doesn't look like loving. It doesn't look like it's from a merciful God. And sometimes, Father, we feel like, man, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing me to go through this? But, Father, you are a loving God. And that our circumstances, difficult or good, does not change the fact that you love us. It does not change the fact that you are in control of all things and that nothing, nothing on this earth happens without your approval. So, Father, for those who are going through some tough times this morning and they sit here going through it knowing that you've approved it, that you've allowed them to go through this, Father, would you strengthen their faith? Would you strengthen their belief in you? Because according to Scripture, Father, this is why you allow us to go through these things. Yes, Father, we know that you're grieved. You're you're saddened 
as you see us suffer. But in the end, Father, you know what's best for us. And the best thing is that we believe in you. That our faith in you grows. And this is why you're willing to allow us to go through some of the hardest moments in our lives. So, Father, I pray for all those who are struggling here this morning. Father, that you would allow them to be honest and real with you, first and foremost. That you would allow them to feel what they're feeling. And that you are bigger than their doubts. You are bigger than their anger. You are larger than their frustration. And you understand. For the Bible is full of situations and personalities that have questioned you. But Father, you are God. And you will not change. And that you know what's best for us. And you will not change. You will not settle for anything less than the best for us. So, Father, help us believe that. And lastly, Father, I pray for each person here who's going through some difficult times. Oh, Lord, would you move from what they know about you from Scripture to the point where they could actually live it out. That it's no longer just head knowledge, but it's a way of life in obedience to you that leads to peace, that leads to joy in the midst of difficult times. In your son's name we pray. Amen.